Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Just a moment ago, we listened as Oliver read to us Psalm 107. And the, if you got past the salt for just a moment, you may remember that the author was talking about standing at the gate of troubles. All kinds of hard, difficult things he was facing. He talked about finding himself in the clutches of his military enemy. He talked about feeling lost and confused about life, of not having enough money, not having enough food, not even having a place to live. He talked about suffering depression, about spending some time in jail, about having to work harder than any man ought to, harder than is fair. All difficult things. And we're going to learn about how to respond when God leads us to the gate of troubles. Now listen, it is no secret that this life is not all peaches and cream. There are very real difficulties and troubles that we all face. No doubt if we took a poll of the congregation right now, we would find that a good quarter of us are facing really hard things right now that seem like they might be too big for us to handle at all. So please understand, as I talk about facing troubles this morning, I don't do this lightly. I don't want to dismiss your hurt or take it lightly. Neither did I come here today to tell you, oh, it's not that big deal. Just just buck up, young soldier, and you'll be fine. I know that pain is real. I know that sorrow can be heavy and dark, and I know that pressure can be nearly crippling. But rather than living our lives dreading the hard times that are to come or maybe working on a little bit of bitterness and resentment toward God for the troubles that we face right now, let's see how God's Word addresses these situations and how we can respond to them. But first, let's take a look at what happens on the screen. At this point in the lesson, a short movie was shown. It featured video clips of 11 people sharing the hardships they're currently facing. Real people, friends of mine, with real problems. Some of those things sound familiar to me because I know my friends' stories. Some of them sound familiar to me because I've walked in their shoes before. How about you? Sooner or later, we all stand at the gate of troubles, don't we? What are you going to do the next time that life's path takes you there? Are you prepared to face it? Over the next few minutes, I want to share with you some principles for facing troubles that life brings our way, because we know this much. If the sun rises again tomorrow, there's an opportunity for life to get difficult. Fortunately, the God who knows these things has also provided us with wisdom for how to deal with the difficulties of life. Some principles for dealing with troubles. That's what I want to share with you today. Principle number one is this. Remember this. God can make a way for you. Whatever it is you're facing, God can make a way for you to stand up underneath that load. I know that all of us wish that what God did was when we talked to him about our troubles, he just went and made them all go away instantly. But the scriptures teach that though sometimes he will do that, always he will make a way for us to bear up under the difficulty if it remains. Remember that God can make a way for you. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question, but it's one to which everybody is supposed to almost shout. Well, no, 
well then, if nothing is too hard for God, then the thing that seems too hard for me suddenly becomes a possibility for him. A little background behind that verse. It's important to know that this isn't just a guy saying, oh, just smile, it'll get better. Instead, this is the prophet Jeremiah. The background is that he was writing to a people who were about to be conquered by the world's greatest superpower, a nation known for its incredible cruelty. The people were about to be carried off, not as prisoners of war, to be released at the end of the conflict, but instead, they were being resettled into a foreign land where they were going to lose their identity as the people of Israel. They were supposed to be absorbed into this new culture. But in the passage from which these verses come, in the passage from which these verses come, God announces that he's not going to allow that to happen. He is going to allow the the army of the foreign land to come. He is going to allow the people to be carried off into bondage, but he announces that he will break the back of Babylon and eventually will free his people, gather them out of the various neighborhoods and cities and countryside in Babylon, reestablish their identity, and bring them back to their native soil and bless them again. It's in that context that God says, nothing is too hard for me. What's the thing that you face today? Remember, God can make a way for you. Whatever it is that you're currently facing, God can make a way for you because nothing is too hard for him. Second principle to remember whenever you're facing troubles is this. God has made a way for you. It's not just some potential possible thing out in the future where we we hope that God doesn't forget little old me and make a way for me. The scriptures declare that he already has made a way for you, a way, a path where you should walk. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Here's what it means. It means that God has already designed a path for you to walk. That might be a problem, though. It could be a problem. Because, well, here's the reality. For some reason, Christianity has been preached too many times like the board game Candyland. It's all good. It's just a matter of how much candy you get. Candyland is a game, and it is a make-believe place. I love the fact that Christianity is not Candyland. Because if Christianity were really billing itself accurately as Candyland, then Christianity is a lie, a farce, a hoax, and no good to anybody. Because those of us who live in this world have found that there are difficulties that come our way. And for some of us, at some different points in our lives, it seems like it just won't stop. It's difficult, hard thing, followed by misery and compound agony. Not going to ask for hands, but right? Yeah. Here's one of the hardest things for us to ever accept as people of God is that sometimes God chooses the hard way for us. Now listen, I've had lots of arguments with God because I think I'll get the point pretty quickly if he'll just say it. So we can skip all this hard knock life. All God has to do is just tell me the truth that I was supposed to learn from this difficult lesson and I'll get it and we'll go on. That's what I really think about me. The problem is my experience shows exactly the opposite. 
that whenever life is easy for me, I get fat, sassy, and spiritually stupid. The hands of all the people who recognize they are spiritually stupid when comfortable. Okay? I don't get it. Man, I wish that wasn't true. I wish that the better life got, the more razor sharp my heart, mind, and spirit got so that I just got completely tuned in with God and then, well, then we could make life candy land. But the God who made us and who knows the brokenness in the human spirit has said, I can work with that. It works something like this. Now, Jesus said in teaching about God as Father, he said, God is a good father and earthly fathers, 50-50 at best. So can you work with my 50-50 example as a father? Admittedly, I fall short of what God intends, but it works like this. Sometimes I make life hard on my kids on purpose. You suspected it, didn't you? Yeah, the the look on Luke's face like, what? What? Um, Sometimes I I make life hard on my kids on purpose. I give them chores that don't always need to be done right then. Because I've found that in a little bit of applied hardship, coming from a father who understands, there's benefit for the hearts and the minds of the kids. It's because I understand some things about the future because I've just simply lived longer than them. And I know that if I toughen them up a little bit, they'll get toughened up a little bit. And that way when life gets a little bit tough, What do you know? There's some strength in the human spirit of all the little children in Team Purcell so that they can meet those difficulties and survive them. Okay, kids, I want you to look around. Just, I mean, quick, start doing the swivel head thing. I want you to look around, and teens too. Look behind you. Hands of all the parents who have intentionally made life harder on your kids than it needs to be. And the rest are liars. I'm telling you that. We're bad parents. That's the way that deal goes. Because we have decided that there are going to be times because we know the hard things that you're going to face. We know some of them. We are going to get you ready for them. Therefore, time and again, we will apply some controlled hardship to your life. Later on, it will be proof to you that we love you. Well, if we broken down half-sinful parents like me here on earth can find a way to do that so that it can benefit children? Don't you think that the all-knowing, perfectly knowing, always loving God might do the same thing for us? Listen, what God wants for you is for your spirit to be well and whole. What God wants for you is for you to experience joy, for for something to change dramatically in your heart and in your mind so that you can experience, no matter what's happening around you, joy and peace. He has designed a heaven that is full of joy and peace. And in this lifetime, he is going to get you ready to be able to receive that. And so, he is going to bring a little bit of difficulty your way from time to time. Sometimes a lot of it for those of us who are slow to learn. So you thought that I was going, that I was preaching something good when I said, God's made a way for you. (laughs) The problem is sometimes the way that he has made is a difficult, uphill, rocky way. It's because he knows what we need and he knows what is best for us. He said, Psalm 139, you saw me before I was born. This is the psalmist, David. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Okay, good, good. Every moment was laid out 
before a single day had passed. We stand at the gate of troubles now and again in our lives. It seems like a horrible thing if all the difficulty and the pain is random or if all of it comes from the hand of the enemy who's trying to destroy us. But if you thought God was putting a chore in front of you with a reward on the backside of it, do you think maybe you could embrace the chore? Not a rhetorical question. I mean, I need an up and down or a side to side. Because I think I can. There were times when all I did was chafe at my dad, just get mad at him because he was telling me to do this and this and this and this. But I'm telling you that I've said thank you a million times over. Unfortunately, the majority of those were after my dad had passed away and I, didn't, I wasn't wise enough yet to thank him for the chores that he put in front of me. If you trust that God is good, then you can trust that the way that he makes for you, even if it's difficult, is a good way. I don't expect you to applaud or say amen at this point. There's probably something you're going to have to chew on for a while and you might have to argue with God about. But it's there. But here's the good news about the difficulties that you face. Your current troubles have not caught God by surprise. That's what the, other, the other meaning of that psalm passage is that the difficult things that you face, even the ones that come from the enemy himself, they haven't caught God by surprise. It's not God standing as a goalie on the soccer field. No, no, Satan sneaked one past him and you got roughed up in the process. The passage that we just read says that not a single day of your life came to pass before it was written in his book. It means that the difficult things that God planned for you and the difficult things that the enemy, Satan himself, planned for you, God already took note and he had a plan in place. He had a way in place. He's going to come to your aid. Principle number three is this. Principle number one, God can make a way for you. Principle number two, remember God has made a way for you. Principle number three, walk in the way that God has made for you. Walk in it. Psalm 86, 11 says, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Well then, somebody had better get around to teaching us what it looks like to walk in the way that God has carved out for us. That's what I want to do over the next few minutes. I want to just kind of break this down for you. What's it look like if we begin to walk in the way that God has made for us? Step number one is this. Humble yourself to accept his way for you. Uh, I did it, Laura. Sorry. Okay, you have to understand that I, you do understand, I did not grow up in Idaho. I grew up in the middle of the country where people talk differently. And for my first few years in Connell, Washington, people made fun of my accent all the time. So I did my very best to get rid of uh, all the twang from my voice that makes me sound like a hillbilly. But there are certain things that you can't ever get rid of. Huh, Terry? You can't get rid of, uh, of y'all because that's a real word right? And, and where I grew up, that word is not humble. That word is humble, as in I'm eating a slice of humble pie, okay? And so uh, you just need to know that because that word shows up in the scripture a lot, I'm going to say it a lot for all the years that I'm your pastor. And every time that I say humble, you can just chuckle because I know you're thinking, what's wrong with that boy? And the, the word is humble, but not where I grew up. Okay, silent H, humble. Here's the step. Humble yourself to accept his way for you. Ecclesiastes 7.13 says, Accept the way God does things, 
For who can straighten what he has made crooked? I'm going to read it again because it sounds like a bad verse. Accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what God has made crooked? Some of us are sitting there going, I don't know. Is that really in the Bible? Because does God really make things crooked? Well, that's what the passage said. It said to accept the way God does things for who can straighten what he made crooked. The point that Solomon is trying to make in this passage isn't that, oh no, God did something wrong. Because when we think of crooked, we usually think of criminal dishonest, right? That's not at all the, what the, the writer's trying to help us understand. He's just saying, when God decides to put a bend in something, it's there to stay. The almighty God of heaven and earth has said, I will make this world eventually come around to its designed fulfillment. And if I have to bend some things along the way, that's the way it's going to be. And those of us who are not the Almighty, those of us who are weak human beings, can run into those bent things awfully hard and wish that they weren't true. But the Scripture says, if God makes it like this, it's how it is. What are you going to do when you run into the next crooked thing? The next thing that you think is just not right. That if God were really good, if God were really holy, if God were really kind, this would not be this way. The answer is, humble yourself. Admittedly, there are some things in this world that are outrages to our hearts. There are injustices. There are things that are wrong, 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 wrong. And somehow, for some reason, God has allowed those things in our world. Can I tell you about a big ugly one that, that I faced a few years ago? I was having the time of my life as pastor of another church. And it was, I mean, it was going good. There were new people coming all the time. Um, people would stop me on the street and say, man, you're the pastor of the, uh-huh. Wow, man, I just hear that's a fantastic place. And that, I mean, that's, that's a great experience, you know. And then I had this friend who called me and said, I mean, just burst my bubble, said, uh, we're getting divorced. Family in our church. Not, hey, pastor, I'm struggling. Hey, pastor, we need some, some marital counseling. Hey, pastor, we're done. Really? This is the first I get to hear about this? We don't, I don't get any input. I don't get to help. It's just, yeah. I was gut shot. The next month, I got a call from another friend. Hey, pastor, we're getting divorced. Got a call from one of my cops. I was uh, chaplain on the police department there. Getting divorced. Two friends back in the Midwest getting divorced. In 11 months, I got 11 couples from my church, from my personal life, who said, we're just done. I had a couple walk into my office the next week. Uh, they, they actually called. My secretary told me I should take this phone call. I said, I'm kind of busy right now. Can I call them back? She said, I think you really better take this call. I said, okay, I'll take this call and talk to them about anything, as long as they're not getting divorced. She said, uh, oh, man. So they told me about how he was horrible and had an anger problem and how she'd fallen in love with some other pastor and 
and I couldn't believe it. And um, I'll tell you another day how I dealt with that one. But I was, uh, I was getting to the limit of what I could take, you know. And the next day, about the same time, my secretary buzzes my office and said, can you take a call from another family? I said, yeah, as long as, she said, don't finish the sentence. It's like, oh, 13 couples in 12 months. Just serve notice. We're done. People I'd respected. Mentors for my kids. People who, who I'd, I'd learned about marriage from. Done. It just seemed like this whole thing was just completely coming apart. I had this early morning prayer meeting and I went through this stretch where nobody else, nobody else showed up for about six months. It was on the calendar. I announced it every Sunday. Nobody else showed up. Six o'clock in the morning, I'm at the church praying. That week, I just got to the end of it and I went to the altar right in, at the front of the sanctuary and I knelt down there and I started laying out those 13 families and saying, God, you've got to help so-and-so with this and you've got to help that guy see the error of his ways and you've got to soften this guy's heart and you're going to have to crush this woman and, you... and there's just this point where God said to me, give them to me. And so well, that's, that's what I'm doing. I come here to the meeting, prayer meeting, it's a strange meeting when no one meets you, um, to the prayer time to every week and I pray about this all day, every day, every time I think of them, every time I look across the street at my neighbors who are one of them, I give them to you. And he said, no, you talk to me about them all the time, but you haven't given them to me. You haven't given these people and their marriages to me. I said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, give them to me don't pray about it again. Now, listen, you should question every pastor who ever says God said to him, stop praying, okay? You should question that. But I'm telling you that he just said to me, now stop. Enough of the, ah, about all the, just stop. And I didn't know if I wanted to do that. So I just knelt there for a little bit and I finally said, okay, God. My friends, my family, they're yours. And he said, okay. By the way, I let people get divorced. Oh, I was mad at God. I was mad. I expected if I give him to him, then he does what I've decided is best. He said, in case you haven't noticed, I let people sin. Oh. I watched my friends reap some terrible, terrible things. I watched some people just get crushed. And I watched some people respond to the discipline of God and come around. And in the process, I was disciplined and humbled by God too. I don't get it. Why God allowed all of that? But I know that after months of kneeling at an altar, talking to him about it, he said, Cliff, do you think that I don't know about those people across the street? Do you think I don't know about your friends back in the Midwest? I wrote this day down a long time ago. I got it. I've got you. I've got them. few months later, one of my friends walked into my office and said, I need you to know I've been restored to my wife. 
and I want to come and repent of my sins. A gal that fell in love with a pastor. She listened to what I had to say and she cut him off and she decided to love her husband again. He decided to get some help with the issues that he was facing regarding the outbursts of anger in his home. The 13th couple, they came to me and said, we, we've decided we don't want to quit. We need some help. See, God had made a way and it included some very hard things for those people. What part of it God chose, what part of it they chose, what part of it was the work of Satan is not mine to sort out, but I know this much, that the God who sits on the throne of heaven is not a goalie who, who, who handles about 95% of what is thrown at him. He is the eternal God who had a plan for time before the first day came to pass, and he has a plan for you and for the difficulties and the hardships in your life. You can know this, the things that ought not to be break the heart of God. God is not up there sometimes doing evil and saying, well, it's good because I chose it. The things that ought not be, they break the heart of God just like they do for you and me. But he said, I got it right here. I got you right here. I've got them right here in the palm of my hand. Trust me and walk in the way that I carve out in front of you. That or you can just uh, get off the way, sit on the side of the road and bicker and whine and complain. And you know what will happen? Life will continue to happen without your approval. You can humble yourself and accept his way for you. The issue here isn't that God does things in crooked fashion. The issue here, this passage, accept the way God does things who can straighten what he's made crooked? The issue isn't about whether God does right things or wrong things. It's about accepting what God does even if it seems strange or misunderstood by us. We may not be able to like all the things that God allows, but we can stop for a second. We can remember that we are not God and that we don't have anywhere near the same wisdom that he does and we can humbly take our place back under his authority accepting the way that he has chosen for us. When you're going to walk in his way, it looks like humbling yourself to accept his way for you. When you're going to walk in his way, it's going to look like humbling yourself before the laws of sowing and reaping as well. Sowing and reaping, you get this, right? I planted a garden. Strangely enough, Everywhere that I planted corn, corn came up. Carrots, carrots. Green beans, green beans. It's the way it works in this world. Sow, reap. What you sow, you reap. I come from the land of tornadoes. Here's one of the worst parts about the laws of sowing and reaping. When you read the Bible, it says if you sow the wind, you get the whirlwind. I've seen whirlwinds. They do bad things. Sowing the wind is this idea of whenever you stiff-arm God and walk into the wind instead of letting the wind of the Spirit carry you where He wants to take you, when you start bucking the system and you get defiant to God, guess what? You're sowing the wind and you will reap the whirlwind. I've watched whirlwinds take brick homes, jerk them up off the ground, set them down on the other side of the road. I've seen whole subdivisions taken all the way down to the ground where there's nothing left but a slab and they never find the bricks. I've seen cars drop through roofs 
I've seen hospitals completely removed. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. There's this law of sowing and reaping that the scriptures teach us. The problem is we almost always think of it in strictly negative terms. That if I do something bad, oh no, worse things are going to happen to me. And then we start kind of talking karma and those sorts of things. But do you understand that the law of sowing and reaping also has a very positive side to it? That generally speaking, if you do what is right and good and obedient, there will be blessings that come to you. Listen, this is not some um, willy-nilly spiritual force in the universe. This comes from the idea of a God who is a covenant God. And I've talked to you about blood covenant before, but crash course, it's this. It's a binding agreement between two parties where I say to you, I will keep the terms of this covenant even if it kills me. And if I fail to do so, I give to you the right to require of me my life. It means I'm serious about this relationship. And in every ancient covenant, the documents of which we have ever found, they always include a handful of things in common. One of them is a series of laws. This is what I will do. This is what the other party will do. This is what I will not do. This is what the other party will not do. The terms of the relationship. Here's how we will get along. But in every covenant document that we've ever found, we also find that there's a section called sanctions. And sanctions are both positive and negative. If you keep the terms of this covenant faithfully, here is how I, the other party, will bless you. And if you are unfaithful, The ultimate sanction is death, but short of that, I also have all these negative things that I can do to you. Listen, this isn't the the first time you've heard this because every relationship you have is like this. Get involved in a business deal. I'll do this, this, and this. You'll do this, this, and this. I'll pay you that much, and you give me this much goods. Every relationship that you have that's a social relationship works the same way. We're friends. Okay, well, then what's the deal? We'll spend some time together. You know, spend time with me. I know be your friend. I tell you things that are private. You tell other people, I know be your friend, right? There's there's terms and there are sanctions in every relationship in life. That's where the law of sowing and reaping comes from. Specifically, when it comes to blood covenant, there's this idea that if I do what is right and good, I get this thing called blessings. And if I am unfaithful, I get this thing that is called a curse. This is specific covenant terminology. Blessings and curse. Listen, read your Bible all the way through. When you come across that word blessing, take it from, oh, nice things that randomly happen to a deliberate act of God based on your faithfulness. You'll read the scripture way differently. Blessings aren't, oh, I got the front parking spot at the mall. (laughs) There's nothing in the Bible that promises that. I... Okay, Cliff, don't say what you're thinking right now. Don't say what you're thinking right now. Um, Blessings are the promised goodness of God delivered to those who by the power of his spirit are faithful to relationship with him. Facing hard times in life, observe the law of sowing and reaping, of law and sanction. And then maybe back off just a little bit and observe your own behavior in recent history and see if maybe hard thing didn't come because you sowed it. Some things God brings our way. Test, trial, chore to help strengthen you. When an awful lot of the negative things that you and I experience are curses 
Not witchcraft. But I agreed to covenant with God. And then I wasn't faithful. And I did the things that he said would bring about destruction. Oh no, life got hard. Who knew? Who saw it coming? Hmm? A little bit of humility here as we observe the laws of sowing and reaping, of blessings and curses. Sometimes my hard life is of my own making. And when it is, it is arrogant for me to criticize the God who hasn't done anything about it. You want something to change in your life? Humble yourself before God and confess the things that you have done that may have brought about discipline and sanctions in your life. Wow, this is not going to make Cliff's top 100 favorite sermons, I can tell. Best sermon you ever preached, Pastor. Humble yourself to accept his way for you. That's what walking in his way looks like. Humble yourself before the laws of, of sowing and reaping. That's what it looks like. Don't arrogantly make the fool's mistake and assume that you are the exception to the law of sowing and reaping. Um, okay, I, I need to talk to people age 22 and younger right now from experience, okay? We're going to have a little biology lesson. We're going to have a little spiritual lesson. There is a reason that we take people younger than the age of 22 and try to convince them to be soldiers. You know why that is? It's because we have found out that, the, that a, a part of the human brain, particularly in males, is not fully formed until, how old? Right around in there, 23-ish. And it's, it's the part of the brain that very directly associates cause and effect. This is why you see young boys in particular doing things that are stupid. Where you go, that's going to hurt. And you can see it ahead of time and they're thinking, nah, I'll stick the landing. It's because there really is a part of the human brain that until we get to that early mid-20s is not fully formed and has the ability to go, I know that it's probably not going to work for the other guy. But it's going to work for me. Yes, Jeremy, two thumbs. Who's that guy? Um, it's why I jumped off of tall things. It's why I drove faster than they said I should. It's why I said, ooh, I bet it won't hurt that bad next time. Try it again. It's because I arrogantly, foolishly, ignorantly, whatever, assumed that I was the exception to the rules of sowing and reaping. It's why we take 19-year-olds and stick rifles in their hands and say, charge that hill, youngin. Because he thinks it'll be the other guy who gets shot. While the 40-year-old brass are standing back there going, oh, this is going to be a bloody one. That's, the way that, that's a crash course in the military, in case you didn't know how that worked. Listen, take age out of the thing. Some of us never got over the business of the arrogance of assuming I'm the exception to the rules in this world. I can do whatever I want. Somehow, I'll come out of it. My birth dad was a guy who lived as a drunk from the day he was 12 till just a few years before he died. When I was a, a little kid and came to know Jesus, and my sisters did too, we had those court-ordered visits with him, and he would mock us because of our faith. My dad eventually smoked and drank himself to death. That, by the way, was what the doctor said when he diagnosed him. He walked in and said, congratulations, you've killed yourself. You smoked and drank yourself to death. There is no getting out of this. Here's the way the deal goes. As a little boy, I would watch my dad do things that I thought were, 
were wrong. I'd listen to this horrible, foul language and, and all these other things. And I don't know, probably a handful of times a year, I'd muster up the courage or something to say to him, Dad, please don't do that. It's going to destroy you. And my dad would say to me, Oh, son, you don't have to worry. God and I have an understanding. My dad was, was telling me that the understanding is that he could mock the name of God and God would go, no problem, I'm not offended. Then my dad could do the things that were slowly poisoning the temple of the Holy Spirit that God had designed for him and that it didn't matter. Cancer was not an option for him because, you know, he and God had an understanding. That he could ignore the God who made him, no problem, because God understands. I'll tell you what happened. My dad calls me on December 19th, 1996 and said, I have cancer and a 15% chance of survival and I feel like the biggest cheat in the whole world, but is there any way a guy like me can get square with God? Well, I got to tell him about forgiveness, but you know what? Forgiveness always comes after you, you quit the foolishness of assuming you're the exception to every rule and you repent and you accept that the rule is in effect in your life. The disobedience brings punishment. What's it look like if I'm going to walk in the way that God's made for me, even if it's a hard one? I'm going to humble myself and accept His way. I'm going to humble myself before the laws of sowing and reaping, and I'm not going to make the fool's, make of, fool's mistake of assuming that I'm the exception to every rule. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop fire in his lap without his clothes being burned? Listen, on Mythbusters, they would have at the bottom of the screen, do not try this at home or anywhere else. Final step is this. Observe these laws and live accordingly. And generally speaking, you will then reap accordingly. Okay, you need to know that the Bible isn't math. Okay, it's not math. Math is a series of, of absolute laws with um, if-then cause-and-effect statements and math is immutable. The Bible isn't math. The Bible says, look, there's this world. It's messy. It's a difficult place to live. And about the time that you think you figured it out, curveball comes your way. The Bible gives us proverbs. You know what the word proverb means? Not always true. <laughs> it's a proverbility. It's, this is the way life generally works. Listen to me now. Okay, listen close. If you take every hardship that you ever experience and say this is a violation of the laws of God and of the nature of God, if this is an indictment against his goodness, then just go ahead. If that's how you're going to approach life, then just give up now. Because I'm here to tell you that with a good and holy and kind God sitting on the throne of heaven, there's still going to be some hard stuff that comes your way in this life. There is. But the scriptures tell us that it is generally true in any one given moment that if you do what God teaches pleases him, you will be blessed because of it. And if you defy him, it is probably going to blow up in your face. But the scriptures also teach that there will come a point when all of the exceptions, those times you got by with it, those times you did good and suffered because of it, that God is going to put all of them on a great balance 
And he is going to balance the scales of justice eventually. So while the system doesn't work perfectly right now, there's a promise from God that one day he will sort it all out. The question is, between now and then, will you trust the God who says, I'm good, I'm kind, and embrace the way that he has carved out before you? If it means moving halfway across, the, or all the way across the country. If it means a pay cut, if it means relationship difficulties, if it means illness, if it means some sorrow, will you embrace the life that God is rolling out in front of you and embrace the God who does it at the same time, trusting that his word is true and that when you can't make all the pieces fit, he says, don't worry, in eternity, I balance it perfectly. The fact is you're going to face some difficulties. But if you begin to observe the laws of sowing and reaping, if you humble yourself before God and begin to live as he teaches by the power of his Holy Spirit, you are going to find that the path of obedience usually leads away from the gate of troubles instead of toward it. What difficulty are you facing these days? How are you handling it? If you're like most of us humans, you worry, you get afraid, you complain, you, you beg God to, to, to magically take it all away and instantly so. You're human. But we're not just humans. We're Christ followers, right? And let's take a moment to, to apply this biblical lesson. Close your eyes for a minute. Let's stop the normal, merely human response to troubles and by the power of the Holy Spirit begin to respond in the ways that we've learned today. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I want you to just run through it in a private conversation between you and God. What's the difficulty that you're facing right now? Can you reduce that to one sentence? God, I'm struggling against... God, fill in the blank, is hurting me. Next, ask God, please, to make a way for you to handle your trouble. It's okay for you to ask him to take it away. Ask that first if you want to. But as the followers of Jesus, we are a people who say, Lord, take it away or... Hold me up while I stand under the load. Ask God if this difficulty is his way for you. Would you dare ask him that this morning? If you believe that he has, in these last few moments, revealed to you that this difficult thing is his plan for you, then take a deep breath and tell him that with his help, he'll face it. Now let's remember the laws of sowing and reaping, of blessings and curses, and let's humble ourselves before God and his ways and ask him, Lord, is this of my doing? And if it is, why don't you just repent of that sin right now and be done with it. And let's all ask him to help us to live in obedience 
to his word, that is to live in ways that God can bless. Lord, we're asking for your help this morning because it can be pretty hard to sort all this stuff out. I honestly can't always tell where your actions end and where Satan's begin. Confession time. I know I've messed up plenty of things in my life, but there, honestly, there just seems to be some things that come my way that are not my doing and that are not my fault and that I don't deserve. My friends feel those same things, Lord. Instead of trying to sort all of that out this morning, we want to meet you where life really is today and ask you to meet us in the same place. The difficulties that we're currently facing, Lord, will you please help us? Would you keep our hearts sensitive to your voice so that we know when we're in a sowing and reaping situation? Would you grant us grace and mercy so we can back out of our disobedience? We don't want to ask you to test our hearts because we know it means that you'll apply some hardship. Lord, in the areas where you're already testing us, we ask for your help that we can be found faithful. We can thank you that you're getting us ready for the next difficulty. We can do that. Lord, help us to live in ways that you can bless. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with me for just a moment? In this week to come, I want to ask you to please do your very best with the help of God to remember and to live these principles. And I want to see where we stand one week from today in relationship to the troubles that we talked to God about this week. But I also want you to know that there are some things that some of you are facing that are not going to budge between now and next week. And next week, we're going to talk about the gate of stubborn troubles. There's a whole different set of tactics that we bring into play when we come up against something that obedience and humility will not budge. There's help from God's word for those things, and we're going to talk about that next week. In the meantime, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. John, Tabitha, girls, we love you. We don't like what God's chosen for you right now because he chose it for us too. But you've embraced it, and we're going to embrace it too and probably you guys one or two more times before you sneak out of here, okay? Just know that you go with our love and our blessings, okay? Grace and peace to you. Amen.